fact that we've been busy all day today is really Greg's fault. He said what he wanted was all day preaching and dinner on the ground. So you blame it on him. It's not my fault. It's his fault, okay? And you learn that quite early in life to blame somebody else. Seriously and sincerely, those obvious parents, adults here, do everything you can to humble yourself to rear these young people to be godly young people and go to heaven. Forget about yourself and think about them and what you can do for them. It's certainly a treat to be here and to see these young people and to see them participating in the service. And the others are just as important. And we need to remember that, please, I beg of you to uh, work with them and do everything you can. Well, many of you came to our house and drove out in the country where we lived. And parents have often said, we appreciate what you do. I said, I don't deserve the appreciation. The appreciation goes to those parents that would drive from Knoxville, from Memphis, from Cookville, and from Bowling Green and from down in Alabama to come and have Bible study. It's the parents. We just provided a place. The parents trained them, and they loved the Word of God enough to come. So it's not ours. It belongs to the parents that has worked with children and, and taught them in this world to love God and to love one another. Thank you very much for this day to be here with you. I appreciate it so much. Open your Bible, if you will, to the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to talk about uh, the awesome God, the wonderful God, the amazing God, uh, the God of judgment, the God of mercy, and the God of grace and forgiveness. Your concept of God, if it's not right, there's nothing else right about you. Now you remember that. If, if your concept of God is not right, there's nothing else that's right about you. It all depends on your concept of God. He is amazing. He's astonishing. There's not enough words to describe our God. We will share with you what Isaiah says here in chapter 40. Now, to sort of get the idea of where we are, Isaiah has been preaching that repent or God's going to do what God said He was going to do in Deuteronomy 28. He promised you a long time ago. He's been merciful. He raised up judges. And now the end has come that God's going to pour out His wrath and His anger upon you. But when God's pouring out His anger and His wrath, God is not going to forget you. God is going to bring you back. And so He lifts the veil and let Isaiah see the 70 years that they are going to be in captivity. And then they're coming back. He says, I'm going to raise up a man by the name of Cyrus, and he's going to be my servant, 
And He's going to release you and let you come back. Years before that happened. Now the same idea is found in Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to him. He said, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Now he's talking about comfort them after the captivity and let them keep in mind that I'm going to turn away from them but not forever. As angry and as much wrath as I have, I have the mercy and forgiveness to bring you back. And we need to remember that that's an awesome kind of God. You read throughout the prophets that God talks about the captivity, the bad things that's going to happen. And then, He leaves them always with hope. What a God. You think He'd just do like Pilate. you wash His hands and give up and start all over again. But that's not the God that we have. And so He said, Isaiah, before it happens, they need to know what kind of God I am. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. God said, what they sin, I'm going to make them pay. And they're going to pay a tremendous price. But remember, God keeps His promise. Seventy years as Jeremiah said, and you're coming back. God's going to be comfortable. And He's going to encourage you. And He's going to have grace. He's going to have mercy that's greater than His wrath and His anger. What a God. Now watch this if you will. He said when they come back, there's going to be something strange. They're coming back for a particular purpose. What's the purpose of the coming back? And the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The day's going to come, there's going to be a man like Elijah, and he's going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. This Lord, this King, this Messiah, the Anointed One, that you've waited all these years for, John's going to prepare the people for it. They were unprepared. And many of us today are unprepared for what God has done for us. Now John put forth a diligent effort preparing people for the Lord. But they really weren't prepared. Even of all of His preaching, of all the repentance they still fell short. Once again, He said every valley shall be exalted, every mountain hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now there was a day then that the Jews were up here and the Gentiles down here. He said the day is going to come that when the gospel is preached, that everybody's going to be on a level playing ground. And Paul said that in Romans 3. He said, all have sinned, Jew and Gentile, and have come short of the grace of God. All have sinned. 
We all stand on the same platform together. We have sinned. There's no more elevation in the church. The lowest place in the church is an elder. He's God's servant. He's servant of everybody in the church. I think we in our society have a pyramid idea that the elder's up here. No, he's down here. That's what Jesus taught, servitude. When they wanted to know who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus had just been talking about his death. And they weren't listening. Even the apostles weren't ready. They weren't listening. He said, if you want to be great, get down here and be a servant. Stoop down. Take a towel and wash people's feet. I've run into some elders, they don't know the difference between sheep and cattle. You lead the lambs, you don't drive them. You drive cows to the market. You don't drive sheep, you lead them. We need to understand that. We need to know who we are. Everybody does. Now watch him. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? God says to Isaiah, I want you to cry. And Isaiah said, well, i got a lot of things I want to tell. No, he didn't. He said, what do you want me to cry? We need to go to God's book and find out what God wants us to cry. People say, well, this and that and that and that. If any man speak, let him speak as the words of God. Or let him speak the words of God. That's really what it's all about. And so we all need to humble ourselves and realize who we are and how great He is and humble ourselves. He said, you cry. What are you going to cry? All flesh is grass and all goodness thereof is as the flower of the field. I'm looking at the faces of dying people. man that stood here this morning rejoicing with his daughter, I thought about Elijah, the prophets of Baal, and then there's Jezebel. He's way up there and he's way down here. That's life. About the time you get on a high, you get ready for a low. That's life. And so this is what he's saying here. He said, remind the people they're dying. And the young die too. How often you think about death? I think about it more now than I ever have. I know how old I am. I'm a lot older in the morning when I get out of bed than I am after I get out. We're dying. You know, we need the good news, but we need the bad news too. Someone asked a man, said, what are you going to, young fellow said, what are you going to do? Well, I want to get a good education and get a good job. And after that, he said, well, he said, I want to get a family. After that, what? And he went on, he said, and retire. And he said, after that, what? He said, I guess die. I talked to a young man who's got a building named after him down in Atlanta. 
He was at Hillview when I was there, and he was a young man. He left and went to Murfreesboro School. I said, Nolan, I said, uh, where are you worshiping God? He said, Joel, I'm not. I said, Nolan, what's going to happen to you when you die? He said, I guess just go to hell. He doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that. He lied to me. If he believed that he's going to hell, he'd do something about it. And if you know you're dying, you're going to do something about it. I say you go and tell people that they're dying. They're a day closer to the grave today than they were yesterday. We need to get that in our mind. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. It's surely the people's grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Remember the lesson this morning? Kingdoms of men gone with the wind. Words of men are gone with the wind. But God's Word's going to stand forever. It's eternal. And we need to bow down at that Word and understand what it is. He went on and cried out about Jerusalem, but we will drop down then to verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hands. I shook hands with a man not long ago that my little old hand got lost in his great big old hand. I felt like a child shaking hands with a man. Great big man. Great big hands. That's what he's saying here. Listen to him. Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. Now, as powerful, as awesome, as angry as God can get, as God can pour out all of His wrath, He said, there's something else I want you to know about me. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. I've seen my daddy get up in the many a night when he's freezing outside and take an old blanket or a quilt or something and dry off a calf that has just been born and bring it into the house and get it warm before he carried it back outside. He was a tough man. He worked on the railroad. He carried cross ties by day and farm by night. But he had a tenderness toward his animals. God has tenderness toward us. And we need that tenderness toward one another. He'll take us in his arms. Can you imagine? That's the way God wants to be remembered. That those of us of his sheep... He'll take us in His arms. That's what He wants us to know about Him. And carry them in His bosom, and still gently lead those that are with young. That's the God we need to know. That gentleness, that loving. Like a shepherd taking a little animal, and taking care of it. What a picture. What a God.
please. I pray so often to help God see me as He is. Oh, if we can see God, so many things that disappear out of our sight. Watch Him again. He said, not only is He a loving and kind God, He's a powerful God. Watch Him. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of His hand. When you think about Lake Erie, you think about the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific, and and you think about over near the Philippines, that the ocean is seven miles deep. Holding that in your hand. I know this is accommodative language. I understand. That's what God wants to see. Not only can He create that water, and He did. He said, if you knew my power that I could hold all of it in the palm of my hand. Did we see that? Can you understand that? Go over that again. That's hard for me to understand. It blows your mind, does it not? That that's the kind of God that we're serving. Listen to him. And meted out the heavens with a span. Now we measure it in light years, you know. But he said he measures it from here to here. How, how big is God? How awesome is God? How powerful is God? And again, I want to remind you this is accommodative language to get us to understand His greatness and His power and His might. That's what He's doing. Watch it. And comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Somebody gave me a pair of scales that Douglas Aircraft gave to Tennessee State University. And when they were tearing down a building, my friend tore it down. And he brought me a pair of scales. I don't know how to use them because he knows I'm a junk collector. I just love old things. And I tell my wife, she, she better learn to love old things too because I'm getting old. But that's beside the point. I don't even know how to use them. But they're big old scales. You imagine what it would be like if I went up to East Tennessee and they said, what are you doing? I'm going to weigh one of these mountains. They'd probably life flight me away. What kind of God? Not only can I make them. He said, I can tell you what a mountain weighs. I wouldn't know where you stop weighing me. And he said, the hills in a balance. I could take the hills and put one over here and one over there, see which one weighs the most. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, being his counselors, taught him? You know, a lot of people just have that general idea that, you know, God got it wrong. God just, is, in some areas, he missed it. And that's the philosophy of religion today. 
When the young man told Greg concerning homosexuality, that he felt like in that subject he knew more than... Why didn't God come and ask him before he wrote Matthew 19? Why didn't God say, well, he's smarter than I am. Why didn't I come and ask Who told God He shouldn't have created the world in six days? We've got them everywhere. We've got them all around. Religious people. He didn't do that. He said He did, but He didn't do that. Should God have talked to you first? And rather than days, He should have put years in there? Friends, He's a great God if He did it in 700 billion years. I'd still be amazed. But that's not what he said. That's not what he said. Six days. Who can tell God that's the right thing to do? Now watch him again. With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Oh, we've got a lot of people in our society. That God is a dummy. They know it all. Do we realize who God is? God's trying to tell us something. Are we listening? Are we paying attention? Now look at Him again. Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. He didn't say a nation. He said the nations are as a drop in the bucket. You know what that means? We had a coffee company there in Nashville, Tennessee for a number of years. American Ace Coffee Company. Said it was good to the last drop. You never got the last drop. It was still in the cup. He said all the nations of the earth are nothing. Nothing. You know that God, before we get out of this building, could remove every senator, every congressman, the president, the vice president, everybody in Washington, D.C., if He wanted to. Do we understand that? Do we comprehend His might and His power? Do we understand that God is in control? Daniel said he sits over at the bases of king. He's got a purpose. I don't know what he's got in mind. I know that it's the righteousness and exalt of the nation. Sin is reproached to any people in Proverbs 34. But do we comprehend God? Really do we comprehend? And are counted as small dust on the balances. Now, you might go in down to your hardware store and you say, well, I want five pounds of ten-penny nails. And the fellow gets the nails and ready to put them on the scale. You say, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Get the dust off the scale. <laughs> wonder how long he'd laugh. When you went out the door, he, he'd really be tickled. He said, that cranky fellow thought that little bit of dust now that's what God said all the nations of the earth are. 
They're dust on the balances. They're dust on the scales. That's all they amount to. Now, in their inferiority, don't ever get the idea that you can break those rules that have been made for them. We're taught subjection. We need to remember that. And he could take it up the aisles as a little thing. An island just disappeared. That's a small thing with God. He said in verse 16 that leaven is not sufficient to burn. Now the beasts there are sufficient to burn and off. As we talked about in Micah 6 this morning, what, what can I give God? He said, if you burned all the wood in Mount Lebanon, if you took all the animals and burned them upon that wood, it wouldn't be sufficient what God really deserves from you. Can you imagine that? Can you just imagine that? What a powerful sacrifice that would be. It would not be sufficient. All nations are before Him as nothing. They accounted Him less than nothing and vanity. Now, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought nothing meant not one thing. Now, how can you have less than nothing? All the nations of the earth are less than nothing. Now, I was born with not a little bit nothing. And still got some up. But how do you have less than nothing? Do we realize in comparing nations to God, what God is telling us, Can I get it through my thick skull what God is saying? That He's in control. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be... God's going to take care of you. How many of you parents around here ask your children, ask me for something and I'll give it to you? That's the kind of God we've got. Ask me and I'll forgive you. You seek me and I'll take care of you. You may get some hurts, but you'll learn from those hurts. The hurt that you go through will help you to encourage somebody else going through the same hurt. Many things that I did not want to happen to me happened to me for my good. I don't always understand what other people are going through. But it's helped me to try to understand. I try to feel what they're feeling. And that's what God in heaven does. He knows what we're going through. Now watch them again. In verse 18, again in verse 25, I believe it is, He makes the same statement. And I said, to whom will you liken God? Who is He like? Aren't you overwhelmed that there's nothing on earth? There's nothing in God's creation that could be compared to God. There's nothing that man has created that would be compared to God. 
There's no in intellectual being if all the PhDs and philosophers of this country were put together. It still wouldn't know God. Who's lacking? Who are you going to compare him to? There's no comparison. He created those things that amaze us. The mountains that he sent to see, I love them. Colorado, we went out there with the van. We loved it. You go down and sit on the coast and just watch the waves come in. You love it. That's not God. That's a result of God's hand. That's just one of billions of things that God has done. How amazing. How awesome. Who can, who's lacking? What can you compare him to? There's not anything. He said, the workman melted the raven image, the goldsmith spread it over the gold and cast it with silver. He that is in prison, that he has no oblation chosen to tree, that will not rot, that is a good piece of timber. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to pair a graven image, that he shall be moved. What a joke. What a joke. That I sit down and make something and it becomes my God. Look at this. This is like God. As in Pennsylvania. And dating up there, some of those girls, we'd be out together and every time they'd pass by an image beside the road, they'd start crossing themselves. The Jews learned. After they came back out of captivity, they never had any more images. That's the end of that. They learned their lesson. What's like God? Can man make something that's like... <laughs> if it is, where do you get the material? Is it not the material that God made? Have you known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is He that sitteth on the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants there are grasshoppers. This stretches out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. What is God? He, he sits up on the circle of the earth. And if we're not for God's eyes, we'd be invisible. But we're like grasshoppers. I sometimes walking along and there'll be an ant there on the sidewalk and I thought, oh buddy, I could just do that and take you away. And then I think, how much superior is God to me than I am to that little old creature? Have we not understood? Do we not understand that our God not only made this, but He sits upon the circle of the earth. He's in control. Have we not understood that? What is it that gets in our way from comprehending that? That bringeth the princes to nothing and making the judges of the earth as vanity. Wasn't that what I said a few minutes ago? 
He takes the kings, the rulers, when he gets tired of them. <laughs> Where are they? They're gone. It's not just in this country through a process of voting called elimination. God, when he gets through, he removes them. Do we understand that? Do we comprehend how much he's in control? Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not be rooted with the earth. He also shall blow upon them, and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take them away as stubble. Does that sound familiar? What about the rulers? They're just like the nations. They're like stubble to God's wind. And He'll take them away when He's ready. Who's in control? Someone asked me this year when I leave Rock Church in the last of December, said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm out of control. If God gives me health and people still want me to preach, I'll go on. But I, I'm not in control. And I think we need to wake up to that realization. When we think we're in control, we're out of control. Now listen again. He drops down to verse 25 and he repeats what we just read a few minutes ago. So you can read that when you get home. Now look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out the host by number, and calleth them by names, by the greatness of his might, that he is strong in power and not one faith. Our scientists with the great studies that we have, we can't even count the stars. God's got them named. God's got them named. I love what he said over in Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 33. After he gives in chapter 31, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel. He's talking about the future. In chapter 31, he said, chapter 33 rather, he said, if my covenant can be broken, he said, why not break my, the covenant with day and night? You know, last week we had five days and never had a night. <laughs> break that covenant, if you will. I said it in motion. If you can break that covenant, you can break my other covenants. You can stop me from doing what I said I'd do. I'd set my son on that holy hill. I set him up there. You couldn't stop me from doing it. He said, I'm in control. Teach the young kids in the Bible class that we have in the house on Tuesday. Then when we pray the final prayer that we have, all of us get down on our knees. Hadn't got to do that. I know that. But sometimes we need to get down on our faces and know who we're worshiping. The God that we're serving. God, I don't deserve this. 
Why I was born in this country, I don't know. Why God has been so good to me, I don't know. I don't deserve it. Brethren, we need to come to that point. And that's what he's saying. Who's like God? Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speaketh, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over my God? Do you realize that when you think that nobody sees, God sees? When Potiphar's wife was tempting Joseph, she saw two people there. Joseph and herself. Joseph saw three. He saw God. How can I do this against my God? Friends, our concept of God changes our life. Do we see who He is? Do we understand who's in control? The world's out of control. Russia's out of control. America's out of control. God is in control. Now watch again. Has thou known, has thou heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the end of the earth, faineth not, neither is He weary. There's no searching of His understanding. All you'll ever know about God is what He told you. You know what? You get all the degrees in the world that a person can reach out to. And the final analysis, what do you know? Nothing. Nothing. If you could quote, beginning with Genesis 1 and quote the last verse in Revelation 22, and you could understand and, and interpret every hard passage between. You know how much you'd know? you just know what God has chosen to tell you. That's all. You think how much He hasn't told us. How much do we know? We know what God wants us to know. That'd be wonderful. But that wouldn't make you a scholar. Not in the sight of God, it wouldn't. You think of it. It's overwhelming, isn't it? He giveth power to the faint. When you're down, He'll lift you up. Think about, well, Lord, I don't understand why this happened. Job said, though he slay me yet, will I trust him? Huh? That doesn't sound like anybody out there around. Though he slay me, I, I know my God's going to do what's right. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young man shall utterly fall. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. (laughs) 
grandson went to the emergency room yesterday. I believe he was there five hours. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Tending land, Walgreens the other day, the fellow in front of me, he said you could get well here while you're waiting for your medicine. We don't have much patience about waiting, do we? Someone said to me, these are angel moments. I said, what? Angel moments. They're teaching us patience. Wait upon the Lord. You parents of little ones right now, you don't think it'll ever happen. But they'll be gone before you know it. Spend every precious moment you can with them. Helping them to understand your God. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. All the day's going to come. Just wait. Abraham didn't want to wait. He said, what about my servant? Can he? What about Sarah? I'm not... What about Hagar? Patience and waiting on God is not our strong point. And we need to change that. God said we're growing when we learn to wait. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. Oh, to soar like an eagle. Yes. We sometimes sing that song, I'll fly away. But what are you going to do when it comes time to fly away? Your wings won't work. You ever thought about that? If heaven's not my home, oh Lord, what will I do? If I don't go home and be with God, what in the world will I do? If you're not a Christian, you're not a child of God, what in the world are you going to do? They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That great God, is watching after you. Jesus taught, are you not more valuable than sparrows? Do you know who you are when you're a child of God? Do you know who you are when you're not a child of God? You're a child of the devil. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me He's scattering. I plead with you. Get your concept of God from the Bible and understand who He is and who you are. And you'll cry out, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Lord, tell me what I need to do. I'm willing to do it. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Do we understand that? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For what? The remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do we realize what it's like 
have our sins wiped clean. That's what happens when you become a Christian. God that's been so angry and with wrath, now He's that merciful God that will take you in His arms. As the father hugged his daughter right here this morning, God takes us in His arms. He'll take care of us as long as we follow Him. Friends, that's all I've got to offer. Hope that appeals to you and you'll come while together we stand and sing. Supper's been left prepared for those that weren't able to do so to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. Is there anyone here at this time that would wish to do so? Please raise your hand. Let's pray. Great and almighty, powerful God, how humbling it is to know that we can come to you in prayer at this time. We ask and pray, Father, that would you bless this bread before us that we're about to partake of in remembrance of your Son, that we may do so in a pleasing manner. Forgive us of our sins, Father, and hear our prayer. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.
give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Great and almighty, powerful God, we come to you at this time as we partake of the fruit of the vine that we may do so in a manner that is well-pleasing to thy sight. We pray that we may take of it in remembrance of thy Son and the blood that was shed for our sins. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, the elders have decided this is an, a, a time to, uh, or an opportunity for us to lay by in the stores. Anyone that wishes to do so at this time, 